Hello, members of the BungaCast Reading Club. Welcome back. This is the third section of the 2022 Reading Club, and we're moving on to a new subject, which is neo-feudalism or techno-feudalism, if you prefer. George is going to talk us through what that's all about and what's coming up, as well as talking us through this specific episode. But before we do any of that, I'm going to say hello to George and hello to Phil. Hey, hi. How are you doing? You're in the uh, socialist paradise of Brazil mm, this afternoon. Yeah. What's it like mm. to live under so to live under a workers' party? What's socialism like, Alex? Tell uh, us. I don't know because I haven't left the house in three days because I've been so busy. So oh, uh, I'll let you know again? once I go out. There was no lockdown. I thought here. you were like I thought you were like partying. There was a there was a state level lockdown in Sao Paulo, wasn't there? No, not not a lockdown. They they you know, some businesses were closed, but you weren't prevented from going out and about. Um, no, I was out on I was out on Sunday night celebrating on Avenida Paulista. I was maybe a hundred thousand people out there. It was fantastic, um, but big relief. And I think we uh, we can uh, allow ourselves some celebration, even if we know that uh, there's a lot of bad stuff on the way. Um, you you can have a beer and a barbecue as a little treat before you get back to uh, exactly. serious political work. Exactly. Um, but since then, I haven't left the house because I've been very busy. Um, so I'll let you know once I actually get out there. I think it's healthy to like go and get some exercise. I mean, even in lockdown, we were allowed out for an hour, like a day. Yeah, we were never stopped from going out anywhere or meeting I know up I'm with saying people. in the UK, but I'm saying, you know, you should like get out of the house, Alex. It's I, good I, for I, you. I, I will once I've finished my very, very long to-do list. Um, anyway, uh, we're gonna turn to your questions from the very last episode of the last section um of the reading club, which uh concerned the question of conspiracy theories. There's a lot of engagement on this one, unsurprisingly. Um, it's a very hot topic, obviously. And um I think we tried to provide a, a, a kind of way through this, and I think you, people seem to have appreciated that. So um, that's always nice to hear. Let's take these in a row. So the first comment from Eli, uh, he says, conspiracy theory typically seems to function as a way of rendering events explicable within a worldview someone doesn't want to change. That also means that conspiracy theories can function as a way to assign apparent agency to simple facts. This takes on a contradictory angle when the ruling class legitimate themselves as technocrats and legitimates capitalism as a simple fact, such as, for example, capitalism has existed for 6,000 years. This is a case where denaturalizing the apparent fact is entirely rational, but generalizing this willingness leads to being a bit, uh, a little bit irrational, for example, by claiming that war global warming is fake. Um, I, I struggled a little bit to parse this. Um, Phil, you um, got what it was getting at? Uh, yeah, I don't want to claim I don't want to claim the role of Billy being the Eli whisperer, but what I think um, what I think Eli is getting at is the idea that conspiracy theory allows you to not have to accept things as they are, um, which is you know or the kind of the adamantine character I suppose of um, of late capitalist life, and so it gives you the sense you know it kind of points to the fact that things are social constructions i suppose if you want to use that kind of phrase and this is what it's um you know this is what makes it kind of gives it a certain appeal um but nonetheless it still has that it's still particularly when taken to the extreme of imagining that everything is simply um willed and that the that is uh, fully within the um scope and power of existing elites Obviously, it's irrational. 
Right. Yeah. No. So this is like basically taking the claim onto an epistemological level, for example. So you you know you disagree with the politics of lockdown, so that so you end up claiming actually COVID, um, you know, wasn't a disease at all and it was made up or something like that. Yeah. That sort of like that. Yeah. 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 I think I think we made this this point that conspiracy theories do tend to be disempowering. They do tend to kind of lead people away from action, um, which actually I think is a often a kind of underappreciated. Uh, consequence i think it's almost like the, the the general model of conspiracy theory is that it it gets everybody all worked up and then they end up um doing xyz but actually most of the time it is i think as eli does say it does it's a worldview that um people don't don't want to have to change anything because the forces are, are too great to um to do anything about yeah yeah um and next question from Richard Roberts, uh, the cuckold piece. I think this was my um, reference to King of the Hill. And I actually meant to include a clip of that in the end, but I, I didn't get around to it. Um, and Lacan as well. And it? Lacan, yeah. Um, but I wasn't going to include a clip of Lacan speaking, I think. Anyway, um, but basically, yeah. yeah it was, it, the, the main idea is Lacan. The illustration was uh, King of the Hill, um, where the character is um, being cheated on repeatedly, consistently um, um, by his wife. Um, and then when all the evidence is presented to him, he find he concocts a conspiracy theory to explain something else that was happening to his not stare the thing that is actually going on square in the face anyway so richard roberts uh, appreciated that uh, it reflects a sentiment that one can find virtually everywhere it seems that the quote-unquote real action is happening somewhere else and you aren't a part of it and that seems to apply whether the cuckold or worker or voter or media consumer is theorizing conspiracy or not. In fact, accepting that you're just a cuck doesn't necessarily lead to political action. It's often just depressive, um, which I guess is on the lines of what you were just saying. I love, George. I just, I love, I just love the fact that gets even <laughs> read out. It's great. <laughs> so it, it made me think about kind of political FOMO that like, there is some like real basis for feeling like the action is happening somewhere else because you know the less impactful political participation is the more you think oh <clears throat> something's got to be happening elsewhere so you go through your life with perennial whole 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 fomo or something like that anyway whole fomo <laughs> whole fomo yeah like political fear of missing out are you feeling are you feeling political fomo now because of brazil um george yeah maybe that was maybe your this jealous, is it. that was your jealous question of the start yeah, maybe it's a projection, and I'm like, I wish I was where the the action is. I wish I could be wearing my my Liverpool shirt and have pictures taken of me eating <laughs> what looks like a delicious barbecue and having a beer. I mean, when's that going to happen uh, after a general election in this country? Right. Um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of engagement, lots of people out on the streets, everyone wearing stickers of one side or the other. So you know, that's I wouldn't that's wear politics, a baby. Well, yeah, no sticker, but but I would wear a would wear a shirt. Good. You'd wear a shirt. Um, right. Uh, one final comment regarding this conspiracy theory episode from Ran Heilbrunn. Um, he argues that today's conspiracy discourse is fundamentally different to what Melly describes. Melly emphasizes the defensiveness of conspiratorial thinking, the way it offers an odd sort of comfort in an uncertain age. Because conspiracies for him are a desperate attempt to resist the death of the autonomous subject, he associates the conspiratorial mindset with feelings of melancholy and disempowerment. This didn't actually age well. If we take the American rights conspiracy culture as an example, the very contemporary one, it seems that today's conspiracies have a totally different function. They're a bit more they're bit they are more libidinal than melancholic, more offensive than defensive, more stimulating than comforting, more playful than panicky. 
In We're Still Here, Jennifer Silva's 2019 book on the Pennsylvania working class, uh, we uh, George actually interviewed her um, back then. There's an episode uh, you can listen to, listener. Uh, she reports that the only time I heard passion and excitement in discussions of politics was on the topic of government conspiracies. Betrayed by institutions, detached from political and religious organizations, and distrustful by government, young working class adults briefly lit up, their faces flushed, words flowing quickly, when they proved to me that they could not be fooled by the illusion of democracy. In Silva's account, conspiracy culture appears not as a product of political disengagement, but a response to it. Conspiracy theories do not offer some kind of positive model for political action. They do, however, have an energizing element. I think that's interesting because it, that kind of dialogues See, with the idea of of uh, of it being disempowering, but at the same time energizing. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure I read that as energizing. So the example from uh, the Jennifer Silver book, that seems to me more about kind of claiming one's... Um, not exactly moral superiority, but one's kind of intellectual superiority. I've not been fooled. I'm not, um, you know, like I'm not a dumbass. I'm, I'm not, not a cut. I've not been. Yeah, I guess ultimately I've not been taken in. Um, so I think it's more, you know, I'm not I'm not like those sheeple. So even though, you know, even though it might be delivered with that kind of quality of um, of excitement, it doesn't seem to me that it follows that it's necessarily energizing. It seems to me, yeah, the opposite. Really, it's a way of signaling that you're superior, in fact, to other people. Yeah, yeah and I, I mean, I think it's a it's a good like it's a good quote and a good. I mean, it's an excellent book. I think that the interview, uh, you can you can say what you want about that, but that the book is is really fantastic. And so definitely take that um, call back to to a book that we've spoken about before. Seriously, I think the yeah, it seems to me like it is a bit of a displacement that you have this end. Of, like the title of the book, we're still here, is a defensive position and if you have a kind of an anger and a frustration that's maybe where the the energy the energy comes from and then it's a way to sort of yeah i guess i'm agreeing with the two of you it's a way to sort of <clears throat> i guess package that up and and say well you know i don't need to get him don't need to get involved because it's not it wouldn't mean anything anyway so yeah. but so but i think i do take the the libidinal point though that there is clearly uh, an energy behind modern conspiracy theories um, but I'm not sure I would entirely agree with the premise that Melly's like it's all melancholic and disempowered, but disempowered the tone of um, that he kind of talks about conspiracy theories as having. Um, but it is still just I think we were we were right in our discussion to to kind of, you know, to agree with Melly that it is about the the the, the unpacking of the subject and the kind of political um, disempowerment and dissociation um, mm. that this is premised on. Yeah, no, and I, isn't this uh, just a recapitulation, effectively, of cynical ideology thesis, right? That I'm not, I'm above it. I'm somehow excluded from, you know, the ideological manipulation that others are subject to. I'm not, um, you know, I, I don't believe that COVID is actually a disease. I think it's made up. You know, I'm insulated from dealing with the difficulties of the fact that, for example, elites completely lost the plot and had no response to COVID and trying to come up with an, a political answer to that. Instead, you can insulate yourself in this kind of epistemological bubble, for example, and say, you know, I don't, uh, I don't even believe any of it. You know, it's all fake, right? I've seen the truth. And the, it, it's actually a kind of comfort zone rather than being a kind of radicalizing element where, oh, you've broken off from mainstream narratives, therefore you're willing to challenge um, the ruling class's rule head on. It's it's uh, very much the opposite. Anyway, I think all very interesting. Unless we have any final comments on that, we will, uh, we will put a break here. 
Hey there, you've reached the end of a short excerpt from an episode that's been released only to our patrons. If you'd like to join us and gain access to around two Patreon-exclusive episodes a month, please go to patreon.com slash We'd love to have you.